This message is presented to you by Pastor David Lambert and Exceed Life Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. For more information, visit ExceedLifeChurch.org. Well, I want to let you all know that this church has been such a wonderful partner of our ministry for many years and part of our uh, ministry board, too. And so whatever God has accomplished in Northeast India, you all are investors in God's corporation, and I'm sure there will be a heavenly dividend for you and a reward for your, for your faithfulness as well. I'm so glad to be here this morning. And uh, I, I, my wife is not here. She's still saved, but uh, she, she didn't come because she's out of state visiting her cousin in Mississippi. So uh, I, I, I send you her greetings. But I did bring along a sidekick. I have my daughter here with me. And so uh, Victoria's going to come and sing a special song. Not today. Okay. Would you stand up? At least show your, your lovely face for them, and they can all just see you. So amen. <laughs> And uh, as uh, uh, Pastor Yen mentioned to you, uh, you can go to our website and learn more about our ministry. And there's also resources there available that, that might help you and might bless you. Praise the Lord. And I'm so glad to be here this morning with you all. And, you know, I, I visit a lot of churches and uh, you all greeted me so warmly and so lovingly. I think more than one person when I walked in the door said, welcome home. And Boy, that's so nice, because I've been to some churches that are not particularly friendly. I mean, they may be dynamic in some ways, but, you know, I've been greeted better at Walmart than some churches that I have visited at. And so I really appreciate that. I really feel the love here. And, uh, and I want to just uh, say something that uh, you all uh, should never take your pastors for granted. And I'm sure you don't, because uh, I'm sure that you realize that they are God's gift to you. Amen. The Bible says when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He didn't give bricks and, and, and sheetrock and plaster and carpet. He gave men and women who are called and anointed and equipped to equip you and to perfect you, to train you, to make you to be all God wants you to be. And so don't, don't neglect to show your appreciation to your pastors. Sometimes being a pastor is a thankless job. People only call when they have a problem, right? And, and usually it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and, and they're quick to criticize. You know, some people become sermon critics rather than doers of the word. They think they're at a, an Olympic event. So they say, yeah, last Sunday I gave him a 7.5, you know. Two weeks ago he got a 10. You know, that's not your, that's not your place. Amen. So, you know, maybe, maybe you don't do this enough, but it would be, I think it would be a great idea, if I may take a little liberty here, I think it would be a great idea for you to show a little love to pastors David and Yen because they are great pastors. I mean, look, come on, I'm not hearing the love right now. I, yeah, that's more like it. Praise the Lord. Come on, come on. You might as well give it up good. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why not? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't know. Maybe you do that every Sunday, but I don't think so. And maybe it's good for a visitor to come in and say these things. Amen. Hallelujah. So it is great to be with you, all of you. Praise the Lord. And uh, I want to share a message with you. And I'm going to ask you to begin by turning with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. In a moment, I'll read verse 37 and 38. But before I go there, Matthew 22, 37 and 38, before I go there, I'd like to just pray for my benefit and I think perhaps for your benefit. 
Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege of knowing you and making you known by your grace. And I thank you for the wonderful, loving family of God. I'm so thankful that you have placed us in the company of believers, those who have like precious faith, those who have a heart for the things of God. And I thank you for blessing us with your presence, not only in us, but manifested among us. And I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. You would give us what we need. You would show us more clearly what we do not see. You would better define for us our purposes from heaven. And I believe today, Father, every ear will be listening, every mind undistracted, every heart receptive. And I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower us to speak the very words of God in the heart of God. Thank you, Father, for blessing your people today, comforting them and strengthening them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Someone shout amen. amen. Praise the Lord. A Jewish lawyer, an expert in interpreting the scriptures, asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus answered in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Praise the Lord. The Passion Translation says, this is the supreme commandment. Uh, the Message Bible says, this is first on any list. And then in verse 39, he added this. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Which is interesting because the man did not ask Jesus what is the second most important commandment. But he told him anyways because it is intrinsically connected to the first. In other words, you can't do the second one unless you do the first one. And in verse 40, he continued, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Literally, in the Greek language, hang. The picture is like driving a nail securely into a wall so that you can maybe hang a picture or some, something else. So everything in the Old Covenant depends on these two things. Now, you and I are not living under the law, but that is not because God has lowered his standards. See, a lot of people have the impression that, you know, that the, under the new covenant, you know, God has changed. No, no, the new birth did not change God. It changed you. God's the same God. He doesn't change. He doesn't need to change. You and I are the ones that change. Amen. In fact, Jesus did not lower God's standards. He raised them even higher. He told, he told the Jews, you know, the law tells you don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you not to look lustfully at a woman. The law says don't murder, but I'm telling you don't hold anger in your heart toward anyone, you see. Amen. So Jesus dealt with the root, not just the fruit. So there's nothing in the New Testament that would nullify these two commands. 
they're applicable for us today. So no one can say, well, we're, we're living in the new covenant, so we don't have to love God. <laughs> Nobody would say that. So we would do well in life to focus on the things that matter the most. See, some people have a bad habit. They give great attention to things that are insignificant. So if these two are the greatest commandments, then we should give more attention to that. And since the first and foremost commandment is to love God, that should be our number one objective in life. Now, in, the fir- in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. 1 John 3, 4 says, For the definition of sin is breaking God's law. So if the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, the greatest sin would be not to love him with all your heart. Amen. Think about this. Think about this. For those of you that know your Bible, and I know that you're taught very well in this church, in the book of Revelation, Jesus, the resurrected head of the church, had a message for seven churches in Asia, and he said something to the believers in the city of Ephesus. Now, unlike other churches in Asia, that's a Roman province of Asia, he did not mention, for the Ephesians, he did not mention like heresy, bad doctrine, or immorality, or gross sin, or nothing like that. And also, we can surmise, we can, we can deduct, we can understand from reading the book of Ephesians that the believers in Ephesus were spiritually advanced. You can just tell by reading the book of Ephesians, these are not like, looky, looky, here comes cookie. You know, these are, these are, this is deep stuff. This is meat here in this book. Maybe it's one of the heaviest books in the New Testament, you know. And yet... Jesus, in his message to that church, threatened, and I quote, to remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What on earth does that mean, you know, remove your lampstand? Well, in, in, in the book of Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it tells us, John tells us that he saw Jesus standing among uh, seven candlesticks or lampstands, and that those lampstands, those candlesticks, were symbolic. They represented the churches that God had a message for. So Jesus was telling those folks, if you don't change the direction you're going in, my presence, because he was standing among those lampstands, my presence will not be with you, and there will be no light in your lives. So what did they do that was so terrible to warrant this, this, this dire warning was given to them. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, after listing all their good qualities, Jesus said, Revelation 2, 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So that, that means this is no minor thing. It's real quiet in this Holy Ghost church. I said, this is no, no minor thing. The Good News translation says this, Revelation 2, 4. Good News translation says, you do not love me now as you did at first. So in other words, you do love me. He's telling these people, you do love me, but not like you used to. Isn't that what your wife said to you? You do love me, but not like you used to. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> the passion 
My wife says that to me. The passion trans... Now the righteous brothers will come and sing, you've lost that loving feeling. Now the passion translation says, it says, you have abandoned passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Woo. That's interesting. So that means we need to be reminded, Jesus said this is the first and foremost commandment. It's not to love the Lord moderately in a good measure. It's to love him completely, fully, passionately. In Mark twelve thirty, Jesus was uh, Mark's uh, rendering of the same incident. Mark says, Mark twelve thirty says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, completely, all your being. So think about this. Jesus told the church in Laodicea, that was another place, I would rather have you hot or cold. I don't want you lukewarm, right? So I think with that same thought, he's saying to those people in Ephesus, either love me passionately or just forget it. It's all or nothing. Hallelujah. The first commandment is to love God thoroughly, completely, passionately. Can I get a real amen from everybody here today? We need to understand this. It is not our knowledge that impresses God. Some people kind of boast on how many scriptures they've memorized or, you know, how many books of the Bible they've read, you know, but but you understand God wrote the Bible. So he's not impressed with how much of the Bible you know. He's more impressed by how much you show, how much you do. Amen. After all, God knows everything. Amen. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 and 3 in the New King James Version. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. It says, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything. How many of you here think you know something? Don't raise your hand. If anyone here thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So you may have come a long way, but you have not yet arrived. Hmm. Just a reminder. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But, but, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So you and I will never have perfect knowledge in this life. Now, one day we will know even as we are known. But that day hasn't come yet. But in this life... We can have perfect love for God. What's better? That you know God or that he knows you? What's better? Well, let me answer the question this way. I know who the Queen of England is, but she doesn't know who I am. So if there was some kind of event, a parade or something like that, and here comes the Queen of England. As she passed by in her royal entourage, her carriage, whatever it was, her Nissan, her Toyota, as she passed by, I could say to everybody, hey, there's the Queen. Hi, Queen. I don't know what you would say. Hi. You know, but that doesn't impress anybody. But if she passed by and rolled down the window and said, hey, everybody, there's Brother John. Hi, John. That would impress everybody. What's better? 
that God knows you. Yeah, you know his name. What's better is he knows yours. Can I get an amen? God knows those who love him. So that means he obviously knows if you do love him. God knows those who love him, and he makes himself known to those who love him. God is not known by human discovery. God is known by divine revelation. You don't know God because you're smart. There's a lot of people smarter than you that don't know God at all. You know God because he has shown himself to you. And the more passionately, it stands to reason, the more passionately or completely you love him, the more he will make himself known to you. So that means some people don't need a degree in theology. They need to make a correction in their attitude. It's even quieter now in this Holy Ghost Church. Praise the Lord. Just smile, everybody. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this question, and I say this knowing that we are word people, right? We, 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 are, we are word, Bible-believing people, amen. But let me ask you this question. Is it possible to know the Scriptures and not know God? I would say yes, because the Pharisees proved that's possible. <laughs> They knew the they knew the scriptures thoroughly. They can quote it. You know, they they knew it frontwards and backwards. They didn't go to school to study Hebrew. They were Hebrews. So, I mean, you know, uh, but they didn't know the Lord. And Jesus said to them in John 5, 39 and 40, you search the scriptures. This is what interesting what he said to them. You search the scriptures. You study the scriptures. You dig into the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So that means have eternal life just because you read the Bible or even study the Bible. That's true. Yet those scriptures, they testify about me. They witness about me. They point you to me. But you, he went on to say, are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So that's that's a very uh, harsh indictment against them. They basically were just religious, but they did not know God. Right. So here's my point. If my study of the scriptures does not in some way bring me closer to God, I'm wasting my time. Because knowledge of the Bible is not an end in itself. It is a means to an end. If my preaching, if my you know, message today doesn't in some way bring you closer to the Lord, then I'm wasting your time too. He, he doesn't want us to simply be you know, biblical scholars. He wants us to be deeply in love with him. Amen. And committed followers of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now we're talking about the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Some people, and I realize they're not here this morning. So when you see them, tell them I said so. Some people actually only love what God can do for them. Come on, you're staring at me. Let me say that again. Some people, you know, they, they can say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But, but in their heart, they actually love what the Lord can do for them. But we are commanded to love the blesser, not just the blessing. The healer, not just the healing. The giver, 
not just the gifts, the provider, and not just his provision. And think about this. Our love for others is not proven by loving those who are good to us. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? No big deal. Anybody can do that. Even sinners can do that. So listen to me very carefully when I say this, and don't misunderstand me. So likewise, our love for God is not proven in the good times. Our love for God is not proven in the good times. But when it seems your prayer has not been answered, when it seems that uh, what you hope for has not yet come to pass, when it seems that God has not done what you expected him to do. Now, friends, God is good, and he will not fail us. But I want to say this to you. Some Christians are one disappointment away from turning their back on the Lord. Some Christians are one unanswered prayer away from throwing the Bible in the trash can, figuratively speaking. Amen? Now, friends, God is good and he loves you. But we know this. It's easy to say, I love the Lord, but it has to be proven. You know, we know this. There's no such thing as untested faith. Your faith will be tested in this world by, by circumstances. The enemy is going to test your faith. Isn't it possible that our love for him will be tried as well? Maybe you had a loved one who just passed away recently, and it hurts, and you have a lot of questions. But do you still love the Lord? Maybe life hasn't turned out the way you expected. But do you still love the Lord? Or have you kind of backed off a little bit? Then that means you don't love him and you never did. You just love what he was going to do for you. You married me for my money and I know it. (laughs) Real quiet today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, if Christians, and once again, what a pity they didn't show up this Sunday. But if, if some Christians are not really into Jesus, you know what I mean by that expression? They're not, some people are not really into Jesus like they should be. It's usually because they're into something else. You don't love me like you used to. That's because I love somebody else. And the things that have captured our heart, that have cooled our affections for Christ, they may not necessarily always be sinful things or harmful things or bad in and of themselves. But anything that we love more than the Lord is an idol in our lives. Come on, when you're silent, you look guilty. Let me try that again. Anything, anything that we love more than God, that's an idol in our lives. 
Woo. Now, friends, the main downfall of Israel, the, the thing that, that dogged them throughout the entire Old Testament was idolatry. It's the thing that sent them into captivity. It's, it's the, the bane that they just seemingly could not shake off. It's idolatry. I mean, it happened on Mount Sinai. They made a golden calf, and it just continued on when the kingdom split and all the way till, till Babylonian captivity. And when we read that, we have a tendency, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to read that and kind of dismiss it. Because after all, I mean, that seems detached from our modern-day life. I mean, I, d- I seriously doubt that anybody in this church is tempted to bow down and worship a statue of Buddha. Am I right when I say that? Ah, praise the Lord. I-, I doubt, seriously, that anybody here, you know, on Saturday night is tempted to worship some Hindu god or goddess in their house. Right? I'm sure of that. Yet how strange that the last verse of the book of 1 John, which is a letter written to Christians, the last verse of that book, it's chapter 5, verse 21, says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why would John feel it necessary to say that? Why would, rather, why would the Holy Spirit inspire him to say that? It almost seems like, What? How did that verse get in there? John, you're writing to Christians, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christians, lovers of God, followers of Christ. You talk about walking in the light is he in the light. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And then you end the letter by saying, little children, he means spiritual Christians, spiritual children. He doesn't mean like little boys and girls. Keep yourselves from idols. Why would he say that? Here's another thought. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 5, Paul tells us, the Holy Spirit through Paul tells us, a covetous person is an idolater. Come on, you better start saying amen. You're making me very nervous right now. A covetous person is an idolater. And the word covetous in this verse means having an insatiable desire for more. That's what it means. Having an insatiable desire for more. Now, I believe in God's prosperity. Don't misunderstand me. Amen. I thank God for for churches that believe that as well. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And, And that's what we teach our people, biblical prosperity. But I also have to bring balance when I say this. At some point, we need to be content with the things we have. The Bible says, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. You read it yourself. At some point, you need to be content with what you, I'm talking about the things you possess. But we should never be satisfied that we have all of God that we need. We should never get to the place that I have enough of God. I'm, I'm, I'm content with that work. That's not true. So many people, and we're all together here. We're, you're among friends. Many people, for example, want a better house, better car, better furniture, 
better clothes, better shoes, go on better vacations, better fishing rod, better motorcycle, better guitar. And, and, and that in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. I mean, that, I, you know, that, that's not a problem. But those people are always driven, always never content, always pushing themselves. Come on. We've got to sell this house. We're going to flip it and get a better one. Then we're going to flip that one. Okay, this car, ah, oh, this car is two years old. Let's get rid of it. I can't wear this dress. It's three years old. How old are you? I mean, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so, so, so they're, they're never content. They've got to, they got to, I got to go to the next level. I got to get more stuff. But when it comes to their relationship with God, they're quite satisfied. I think the way it is now is fine until I leave this world. Well, maybe you're satisfied with your relationship with the Lord, but that doesn't mean he's satisfied. I wish I had a friend up here. Praise the Lord. Me and Jesus. That's it. Hallelujah. Amen. If people are not really into Jesus, it's usually because they're into something else. We have weak Christians today in America, in the body of Christ, because they are deeply committed to things that don't really matter and hardly committed to things that really do matter. Amen. Amen. Before we can love God the way he should be loved, we will have to love everything else less. Come on, let me say that again. Before you and I can love God the way that he should be loved, we will have to love everything else less that's not my opinion i got that from jesus in luke 14 26 he said these words and luke 14 i know some of you feel like you got ambushed this morning it's okay god will heal you luke 14 26 jesus said if anyone comes to me and does not hate somebody say the word hate that's what he said If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children. See, that's why my wife isn't here this morning. Why? No. Wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. That's that's a hard saying. That's that's. That's a paradoxical statement. Because it seems to contradict everything that we know to be true. Jesus himself commanded us to love one another. Not hate one another, love one another. Paul told husbands, love your wives. That's my wife's favorite verse in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives. In this verse, let me help you out. In this verse, Jesus is using drastic language to hammer a point. To get your attention, make sure you understand something. What he means is our love for him should be so overwhelming that in comparison, it seems we hate everyone else. I'll say that again. Our love for the Lord should be so overwhelming 
staggering, undeniable, passionate, that in comparison, that in comparison, it seems we hate everyone else. But the truth is you can't love your husband, your wife, your children the way that they needed to be loved until you love God the way that he should be loved. In other words, loving Jesus more doesn't make you a bad parent. It doesn't make you a bad spouse. It doesn't make you a bad citizen or a bad neighbor. Amen? So often in our preaching, you know, typically, you know, in the church world, we, we talk about love, we focus on loving others. And, and I get that. But keep in mind, that's the second commandment. The first is to love God. And that commandment is first, so it has preeminence over every other commandment. I cannot keep another commandment at the same time break the very first commandment, the most important thing. So some Christian wives will say things like, my husband isn't a believer, and he doesn't want me to go to church, and I love him, so therefore I'm not going to church. But there's another commandment that's greater, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So what she should say is, but because I love Jesus more, I'll see you when I get back from church, honey. <laughs> Better yet, why don't you go with me? Come on, it's real quiet in this Presbyterian uh, Holy Ghost Church. Hallelujah. Amen. Some people will say, I really love my friend, my BFF. <laughs> and to help him out, to help her out, I had to tell a lie. Otherwise, he or she would get in trouble, blah, 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 blah. But what you should say is, I love you, friend, but I love Jesus more. And because of that, I'm not lying for anybody. Well, what kind of friend are you? My best friend didn't die on the cross for my sins. He didn't go to hell for me. He wasn't raised from the dead to give me new life. And he's not coming back for me at the end of this age. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I love you, but I love him more. Life is full of tough choices, and these choices are when we prove our love. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Don't run around the building right now. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for sure, but here goes. Oh, boy. I, I, Tori, get the car keys ready. Hallelujah. Some people, I'm, I'm, you're not going to like this, but I have to say this. Some people would say, I've done things that I know are clearly wrong, but I did it for love of my country. Well, I'm glad that you love your country. I love my country, too. I love this country, and I love Jesus more. And because I love him more, there's some things I'm not going to do. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now, I realize, you know, in the heat of battle, there are certain things that we must do. But I'm talking about things that you know are clearly wrong. You know it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. Now, there are some people reading this verse 
and they say, well, I don't love anybody, so I don't have a problem with that verse. That's okay. <laughs> I, I do hate everybody, so I'm, I'm good to go. But wait a minute. But wait a minute. Jesus said, notice he said, even his own life. Ouch. Okay, bingo. Wait a minute. We got a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Even his own life. So that means I must put what he wants above what I want. Why? Because I love him. That means at some point, listen to me, at some point, the Lord is going to ask you to do something that your flesh does not want to do. Maybe it's happening right now. (laughs) Maybe it'll happen during the offering. I'm not sure. But at some point, the Lord is going to ask you to do something that your flesh, your natural human nature says, I don't want to do that. And that's when your love is proven. But because I love you, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change gears real quickly. I don't know how much time. I probably have to wrap this up real soon here. You listen so well. I could just go on for hours. But Pastor David told me we must dismiss by 3 p.m. Because you love the Lord. But because I also love you, I'm not going to go that long. Anyways, let me change gears just for a second. On Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. I already told you we're not under the law, but, but hear me out. Here's something you need to know. These are ten rules for living. He gave to the Israel, ancient Israelites, okay? This is how they should order their lives. We're not under the law, but there are lessons for us that we can certainly glean from that, gain from that. Here's the thing you need to realize. These ten commandments are listed in order of importance. They're not random. They are listed in their order of importance. Now, if you were going to make a list, you know, John's Ten Commandments, Pastor David's Ten Commandments, Victoria's Ten Commandments, what would your list look like? You know, a lot of people, just ask somebody on the, a pedestrian on the sidewalk, they might say, uh, okay, number one, don't kill anybody, all right? Number two, uh, don't steal. Number three, don't lie. Uh, number four, just kind of leave everybody alone, and that's all. I can't think of anything else. But that's not what God said. The first commandment is this. It's in Exodus 20, verse 3, if you want to know. I'll go quickly. I know some of you look very nervous right now. But uh, Exodus 20, verse 3 says, you shall have no other God before me. Basically, that means God is number one. He's first. This is the starting point. If you can't, if you can't get past this first hurdle, you're not go- you, you'll not finish the race. This is, this is the first step. God comes first. So there are a lot of people in America who are quote unquote good people. They don't spit, they don't chew, they don't date girls that do. I mean, they're just good people. But they they don't keep this commandment and they've never kept this commandment because God is not first in their life. Never has been, never will be. Right? The second commandment is interesting in verse 4. The second commandment is You know, not to make a carved image or a likeness to anything in nature to worship it. Well, again, that's making an idol. But really, if you think about it, what he's saying is do not attempt to redefine God. Do not attempt to redefine God. Because, my friends, the temptation is to make God to be what you want him to be. 
And when you do that, you are creating a God after your own likeness and image. God said to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, don't try to compare me to those gods in Egypt. Don't try to redefine me to fit into your notion of what God should be. I am who I am. Hallelujah. Instead of you trying to change God, let God change you. Praise the Lord. Amen. So there are people today in the church world who have basically done this in their minds. They say things, they would, they would say, I know people that would say things like, well, I believe in a chill God. A God who's like okay with my sinful lifestyle. That I can fornicate and smoke dope and he's okay with that. He's just chill. That, that's idolatry. You're creating, you're redefining who God is to suit yourself. Or um, some people in this world would say, I want a God who doesn't interfere with my life, but who will fix every problem in my life, which is a contradiction, of course. <laughs> I want a God who solve all the world's problems, but don't, won't mess with me. That's redefining God to suit yourself. Are you listening to me? He said that's wrong. Step three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Third commandment. Again, most people, this would not be third on their list. Even Christians. Right? I mean, even online people write, OMG. <laughs> well, you just broke another commandment there, buddy. <laughs> That's true. We feel that this is a minor point. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, no big deal. What it means is we must honor God. There should be a sense of deep honor when it comes to the Lord. We should live in awe of him. He is your best friend, but he's not the little boy down the street. He is God Almighty. Don't forget it. You're trying to pull God down to your level. What Jesus wants to do and has done, actually, is pull you up to his level. We fellowship with him, but not down in this carnal place up here in this realm on a higher plane. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the third commandment. Fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I bet if we took a poll on the sidewalk today, we couldn't find one person that would list that as number four. Because most people, of course, if they're on the sidewalk today, they definitely wouldn't list that as number four. <laughs> you know, so the idea here, think about this. Think about this. The idea, the idea behind this is not that one day a week you should take a break from working. That's not really the idea. The idea is there should be one day when you stop everything else to seek the Lord. That's the idea. I mentioned something from the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, when this, when this whole book began, John said these words, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's an interesting statement. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? I can only find one explanation. 
from scripture, we can see that evidently those first century Christians assembled the first day of the week. It says so in Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Did you ever consider that today is the Lord's day? It's not beach day. It's not visit your relatives day. That's real quiet now. Oh, man. You're, you're preaching us into bondage. No, I'm just trying to maybe challenge your thinking a little bit. That's all. Huh? It's not fix your car day. It's not watch sports all day long day. It's the Lord's day. This day is his. This is the day when, above all else, we should be seeking him. We should be pursuing his presence. Come on, it's getting quiet. Now it's, now it's more like a Holy Ghost library. Hallelujah. Amen. We tithe our money so God will bless it. Why don't we tithe our time? This is for you, Lord. I didn't say you can't go to the beach today. I mean, I'm, I didn't say you can't fix your car. I didn't say you can't watch sports. I mean, I'll probably do that too. But, but shouldn't there be times we set aside, this is for you, God. This is for you. I push everything out. In fact, if the standard is higher under the new covenant, Every day should be like a Sabbath day. We should seek him space every day. Hallelujah. So here's the point. Those are the first four commandments. God is first. Don't redefine him. Honor him. And you must seek him. And if you do those four commandments, the other six will be relatively easy. Then the don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, all that stuff. That would be much easier to do. So in other words, what he's really saying is this. If you love God first, it'll be a whole lot easier to love everybody else. Hallelujah. So the problem is that, you know, I don't love my husband. The problem is that we don't love each other. The problem is you don't love the Lord like you should. Say amen or say oy vey. Say something. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I have to say this. It's time to go. We're not under the law because we live by higher law. In the new covenant, God has inscribed his law on our hearts. He's changed our inward nature in the new birth. Hallelujah. He put his love in us. Praise God. The love of God has been shed abroad or poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I got I to wrap this up. In 1 John four nineteen, we read, We love because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us so much he sent his son to die for us. When we accept this gracious gift of salvation, he pours his love into us. We actually love him with the very love that he poured into us. We love him back with his own love. Even the love that we love him with is borrowed love. It's not our own. It came from heaven. It came from God. Hallelujah. So here's the simple point. I got to wrap this up. I keep saying that because you look so nervous. The first step to loving God is to let him love you. The first step to loving God is to let him love you. The greatest thing you can do for the Lord is to let him love you. 
The greatest thing you can do for the Lord is to allow him to love you, to love you the way he wants to love you. And when you realize how great is his love for you, it'll be as natural to love him back as it is to wake up in the morning. Hallelujah. The enemy of our souls works hard to convince us that God doesn't love us anymore. You've missed it. You failed. You, you've fallen. And thoughts come to your mind. God doesn't love you like he used to. God has abandoned the love he once had for you. That's a lie. Because God's love for you is not performance-based. I believe in going to church. I'm a pastor. But I don't care if you go to church every time the door is open. That will not make God love you more than he loves you right now. I believe in winning souls. I believe in witnessing for Christ. But even if you led the world to the Lord, he would not love you more than he loves you right now. There's nothing you can do for God that will cause him to love you more than he loves you right now. Likewise, there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you less. God doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he is good. He loves you because he wants to. He loves you because he has made that choice and there's nothing you can do to change your mind. I know it doesn't make sense, but we're talking about God. I am who I am. That's what he said. When you are secure in his love. See, because if you can somehow think that for some reason, you know, well, I got a divorce. Uh, you know, I've fallen into this particular sin. If, if for some reason you can think that God loves you, but not like he used to then you won't love him either like you used to. There's already a rift in the marriage, you know. You know now we're sleeping in separate bedrooms. I mean, you'll distance yourself from the Lord is what I'm trying to say. But when you realize, he says, nothing you've done surprised me. Because I can see the end from the beginning. Before you were even born, I knew every one of your days, and I wrote them in my book. Nothing that happened to you caught me off guard. God never said, oops, I never saw that coming. He knows. He knows. He knows you better than anybody. If we knew you the way God knows you, we might have trouble loving you. But he knows your very thoughts. He knows what you do in the darkest places, and he still loves you the most. And the enemy will bring all kinds of accusations. But your sin is actually none of the devil's business. The blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of Jesus was shed to wash us clean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. It's his love. As we are secure, we believe, John says, the love that God has for us. Then it's easy to love him back. I want you to stand with me to your feet this morning. I appreciate your patience today. Praise the Lord. And I have to wrap this up. But I think it would be helpful for us to pray. You know, uh, someone said, fresh revelation requires fresh dedication. And maybe it would be good for... Uh, I'm actually preaching this sermon to me. You get to hear it, but I'm preaching to me. This is what God was dealing with me about yesterday. And so I'm just sharing it with you, and maybe it'll help you as well. 
because I wish I could stand here and tell you that, oh, yes, you know, I'm the, I'm the example. I'm the one that loves God perfectly, so be like me. I, I can't say that. Lightning might strike me. I don't know. The ground might open up. <laughs> Not really, but, but, uh, but I can say this to you. When you see the need for change, that's God's grace. And when you see it, know that grace is available to help you make that change. Because otherwise, God wouldn't show you something and not help you to get there. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Maybe it'd be good for us just to lift our hands toward heaven. I don't want to choreograph this, but maybe from your heart, if nothing else, it'd be useful. It would be fruitful and productive for us to say, Father God, I love you more than anything. I love you, Lord, more than anyone I know. I love you more than my hobbies. I love you more than my recreation. I love you more than my business. I love you more than my career. I love you more than my hopes and my dreams. I love my family, but Lord, I love you more. I love my spouse, but Lord, I love you more, more than anything, Lord. And you alone are worthy of this kind of love. You love me unconditionally. And I love you back, not because of what you will do for me or because of what you have done for me. I love you because you are God and you are worthy to be loved. Father, you have been good to me. You have been gracious to me. But even in the hard times of life, even in the tests and trials, even in the storms of life, I will continue to love you. There's nothing this old world can do to ever sour my love for you, O Lord. You are first in my life. You will always be first in my life. I love you with all my heart. I love you with my mind because my thoughts come back to you, O Lord. Hallelujah. I love you with my soul. Praise God. Hallelujah. With my will. My decisions that I make every day, I show my love for you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'll love you with my strength, with my actions, with my body. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord, completely. And you have poured that love, that love into our, my heart. Thank you, Father God. I simply give back to you what you first gave to me. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody in the house, just worship him. Just love on him. Just love on him. Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you with my time, O oh Lord. I love you with my attention. I love you with my resources. I love you with my energy. I love you more than anything. More than anything. Hallelujah. 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 In closing, in closing, Jesus went on to say in Revelation 2 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, and do what you did in the beginning. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today for the love. I thank you for the love these people have for you. And I know they do love you. 
and I know that they love the church, and I know that they love the work of God, and I, I know that their pastors love you supremely, love you exquisitely, Father. Their lives prove it. And I pray that you'll help me to love you even more, to do the first thing first and then the second. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And I do love you, and I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We, I never like to close a, um, a message or a service without giving you the opportunity to receive Jesus. Amen. Uh, like Pastor John said, we need to get a revelation of God's love for us. And I believe when we get that revelation of God's love for us, there's nothing we can't do in Him. Amen? And so if you're here today, maybe you've never made the decision for Christ, or maybe you're watching online, and you've never made that decision, today is the day of salvation. And you may not have another chance. This is your moment. So I want to want you to bow your heads this morning and maybe you're watching online and just pray this simple prayer after me. Say, dear God, I believe Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead for my justification. Today, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. And Heavenly Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We thank you for listening to this message. For more information, visit us at exceedlifechurch.org.